Mr. Podcast. Full sail ahead. That was my very poor nautical opening to episode 61 of A Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other able seamen as masterpieces. I am Mr. Nick, the captain of this vessel, and I am joined as ever by Mr. Roger, the uh, slightly more uh, left-wing <laughs> naturalist on board. Yeah, or sailing master, you know, the, the guy whose job it is to know actually how the ship works while, while, while the Aristo just tells it where to go. Oh yeah, that might be a better, that might be a better choice. Um, we are talking today about Peter Weir's 2003 possible masterpiece, Master and Commander Colon, The Far Side of the World. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, well, this is um, a uh, an an action adventure set during the Age of Sail, um, specifically set during the Napoleonic Wars. Um, where yeah, we... even though, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was it well, was should, actually. Should, could, could I just start? Have you have you read any any of the books on which this is based? So uh, there was a Kindle set. These are books, uh, the Master and Commander books by Patrick O'Brien. Yeah. Uh, there was a Kindle sale of like five or six of his books. Uh, me being me, I don't think this, I'm unique in this trait, but I just, I cannot start anywhere but the first book, even though I'm told mm. it's not the best one. Um, I bounced off it. I, I just, I didn't particularly enjoy reading. I found it quite dry and hard work, so mm. I didn't finish it. My reaction was similar, but I did finish it because I'm stubborn that way. Okay. Uh, I, I have more recently read some of the Hornblower books on, for which this is obviously a homage. Okay. And I, I think, I think I'm starting to get the idea of what they're trying for here. Okay. Uh, but it, this is a very, um, I mean, the reason we both hesitate about uh, talking about the Napoleonic War is actually the book upon which this is based is set during the American War of Independence, I believe, and the chief yeah. antagonist. Well, no, is... it's the, um, uh, what is it? 18, 18, the 1812 war. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the chief antagonist is an American ship, but in order not to alienate a large amount of the potential audience as having the baddies as Americans, um, they changed it to French who are less, and, uh, and less worried sh- about this. And therefore shifted it back a few years to during the Napoleonic Wars. Yes. Yeah. So it's not quite, it's actually not, uh, as far as I can tell, not directly based on any one of the books, but has a number of different books mixed in with it. Well, um, I, I gather that the basic frigate chase is largely from the far side of the world, but mm-hmm. it's got elements from uh, at least three of the others. Okay. So we have, um, yeah, we have a, a almost entirely, but not quite, set uh, at sea. Um, story of um, uh, is this a, a frigate but a, a British naval vessel of the era um, I'm not sure what class it is um, the oh I forget it's almost never mentioned it's the HMS Surprise Surprise yeah it's, it's very rarely mentioned in the film um, who meets their nemesis the, the French vessel the um, Acheron is it uh, I, yeah I've forgotten that too. Um, <laughs> but they, they don't get mentioned too often. Um, they, uh, are soundly, uh, beaten but not, uh, destroyed and they escape into a fog bank. And then the rest of the film is 
Well, it's kind of a... Um, uh, what is the name? Uh, I always forget this. For a story that is one thing after another, like Apocalypse Now. Uh, picaresque. Uh, picaresque. It's almost a picaresque story of this thing happens, then this thing happens, then this thing happens, then mm. they catch up with the ship. Um, so it's, it's an interesting kind of... Uh, yeah, I, I did feel that there wasn't really much overall... Um, structure to it largely because of that and yeah yeah we've, we've got the, we've got these incidents and we've we've got the bookends of you know the battle at the start and the battle at the end yes but the stuff there's quite a bit in the middle that doesn't really have to happen in the order it happens in yeah i wonder if they were the bits plucked out of other books or similar because they just felt like all right now we're in and i felt that most acutely um, there is a sequence where one of the uh, one of the officers is decided to be a Jonah um, by the older men and it, it's just this really self-contained story that suddenly they don't like him and it goes to the end where he finally decides to commit suicide by jumping off the ship um, with a cannonball and sinking to a mm. watery grave and it, it's it's not really well threaded into the rest of the story I felt that was the one where it really made me think this is a slightly weird structure um, because He's in it a bit before, uh, and then he dies, and then it's kind of never mentioned again. We have his funeral, um, and then the wind picks up, and that's it. That's moving on from that section of the film. Um, and, and there are similar pieces like that. Um, hmm. so it's, it's, it's a slightly unusual structure in that sense. Um, this is our first Peter Weir film. Now, I, I have always liked Peter Weir, I always find a very interesting director. He did um, Picnic at Hanning Rock, that is the ones I've seen, and um, uh, The Truman Show, I believe, as well. So he, he's done, he always does sort of interesting and quite different things. Um, and here he is doing a, I, I, it is really an action movie more than anything else. We have the Russell Crowe as the, uh, as the captain, um, and we have, Oh, Paul, Paul Bettany. Thank you. I was about to say visionary because I'm a terrible... Um, the, the, this is quite early in his career, but it, it yeah. seemed to me that he always seemed to be not quite in the starring roles. You know, he's he's the lead in a small rubbish film, or as here, he's second fiddle to somebody better known. Yes, that seems to be Paul Bettany's fate. Um, yeah, that, whenever I have seen him, I think he's in A Beautiful Mind as well, also with Russell mm. Crowe, but he, he's... Um, yeah, he's always in that kind of supporting role, and he, it, I mean, he kind of literally is here. Or he's, he's not. Is he a civilian doctor? Yes. Yes. So he, he's not in the military command structure. Um, well, he, that that does. I mean, what what I do remember of the book is it's very much a double act. I mean, to some extent, uh, yes, Matt Sharon is there so that the ship the ship stuff can be explained to somebody who would leg- legitimately yep. not know about it, so the reader can have it explained. That's fair enough. Yeah. Um, but you know, in, in the book, he's at least the one I've read. He is also a spy, and that's just not here at all. He's a spy <laughs> in the book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah no, he that he, is not he had Republican sympathies in the early days, but then didn't like what happened to it afterwards, and he's now well. Yeah. Um, he's a spy for the crown. Basically, yeah. Okay. And all right. Yeah, and I, I, I do feel aware of this. Or yes. Is that, oh okay. yeah. 
Um, but, I mean, obviously we don't get their first meeting because that, to be fair, I, I, I complain when Hollywood does say, you know, we'll start at the beginning of the series and we'll show their first meeting because yeah, this is already a partnership by the time yeah. the film starts. It hasn't substantially changed by the time the film ends. But yeah. I do think his role is very much cut back in favour of the heroic naval action and burden of command. And it, it is basically much more an Aubrey film than a Matinara film. Yes, absolutely. Where where he is there is very... Um... Well, there's there's one exception to that for me. Well, maybe two. Uh, one, one is the surgery scene. Uh, yes, that is brilliant. And I can't even so say... So this it. is a, where, where someone's had a piece of skull depressed into their head. Oh, I wasn't thinking of that surgery scene. Oh, you were thinking of the amputation scene? No, I, I was thinking of uh, re- removing the um, ball and cloth from his own guts. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. It turns out there's a few uh, surgery scenes. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's a good scene. Um, and uh, yeah, is. It's believable because we know people have actually done that in reality. Um, yes, uh, there, there was a uh, Russian Antarctic doctor who removed his own appendix in the 60s. Yes, um, incredibly. This is why when you go to the Antarctic, you have to have your appendix. Actually, you don't anymore, but it was. Oh, is that true? I thought that was true of astronauts. So few people get appendicitis now that it's it's not considered a significant risk compared with the risk of the operation. Uh, yeah, all right, fair enough. So a preemptive. Uh, but anyway. Prophylactic. Uh, so that and the bit where he's um, off being a scientist on the Galapagos. I had a slight issue with that um, because it, I don't think he did it in the end, but there's almost a suggestion that he was going to out Darwin Darwin um, early on, that he, he suggests that uh, there's a moment where he's talking about, oh, all these beings were created by God, but they all changed. Mm. And then he's going to the Galapagos Islands, and you're like, well, is he going to be the the guy who discovers evolution now? I I suppose I, I rationalise it in the sense that it was an idea whose time had come to some extent. Um, Darwin was, of course, co-discoverer of evolution with Wallace, um, but it, it just felt a bit like, all right, we have the most navally captainy captainy captain, and now we have the most super-powered naturalist um, of all mm. time as well. The, it, the it, thing, yeah, the, the thing that got me on that was not so much that, though. I agree, it's there as that constant sense. Well, this is still trying to be a historical series, therefore he cannot actually succeed in doing this. So, what will happen yes. to stop him from bringing any specimens? Oh, right, yes, is absolutely. that? <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Yes, I agree. That was the other thing. I, I just like the suggestion that if he'd managed it, he would have been Darwin. Um, I don't know, maybe because um, perhaps Darwin is one of my uh, untouchable heroes, I suppose, and and also. Yeah, that you knew that he couldn't do that because it didn't make any sense that he would. Um, yes, that is true. That that affects it for me. Um, I mean, this film is... I feel like I'm being a bit down on it. I, I'm going to say at this point, I greatly enjoyed this film. I I, uh, it, I, I really love it. It's clear, and Peter Weir is that kind of director, but it is clear that they... they did their absolute hardest to drip it with every kind of possible ounce of very similitude. Um, the whole ship, everyone on it. Um, he cast a lot of um, Polish actors, uh, apparently, because apparently they look more like <laughs> 19th century sailors. Um, but it, it really does, it captures the kind of, what to me feels true, like you have these old kind of salty sea dogs being given orders by basically kids. 
and having to deal with that. Mm. Um, uh, I, I mean, there's stuff about, as you say, there's a lot about the burden of command, which I, I don't think is any better explored than, uh, frankly, your average episode of Star Trek. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know that it does a great deal more along Well, I, I think part of the problem is we don't really have enough time, enough space to do that. No. We have moments. Where, well, we have a, basically, they sail around the Cape Horn, they have a man overboard, and then they, they basically have to leave him, um, and that's the captain's decision. Um, it, it, that felt like fairly well trodden ground to me. Um, but I, I, on the whole, I mean, I, I found the film went along at a fair old pace. I didn't find it dragged. As you say, we didn't mm. have the time or pace, because it does rock it along fairly quickly. It's well, also... the, where, where I think it is, is slightly flawed is we've got the ba- the battle at the start and the battle at the end. Yes. But to, to me, the sequence with the storm, which is somewhere in the middle, did a good yes. job of keeping the action going, even though we have large spans of no action at all. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting action film. And I think really, I keep calling it an action film because I... I suppose the other option would be historical epic, but it's not its not quite that, and I appreciate it for it, in the sense that it's actually a very small, enclosed story. Well, yeah, and the, the thing I kept thinking of while watching it was Napoleonic Das Boat. Yes, in fact, I, I, I said to you early on that, that, that because it's... Um, I said it felt like Das Boat, in the sense that it is really... It's not glamorizing the life, and it's not. Um, it, it's, yeah, it, it's not even saying this is good or this is bad. It's just saying this is what it's like. This is what it's like, and this is a captain. Uh, I, uh, a, a, way, a moment that's... of silence for Wolfgang Peterson, who died on the twelfth of August. Did he? I did not know that. I am very sad to hear that because Dasput is uh, one of our favourite films. He did many of other things too, but um, uh, yes, this. Um, this is a similar thing. It's a self-contained there, and Daspu is a story all uh, out on sea about the captain and his mission and what he will do to try and um, finish his mission. Uh, I think it is more Daspu is probably more subtle and less cliched than uh, so. I think it nails to me. At least, I mean, I don't know what it was like on a submarine in World War Two any more than I know what it was like on a, an age of sail. Uh, in the Napoleonic War, but they both feel right and true. They they kind of give you the claustro. I mean, here we really get the as with Daspoot, we really get the kind of claustrophobia. This microcosm, um, all these men, and the, mm. there are no female characters or no named female characters in this. Yeah, film. there there are some native women in in one scene. Uh, the, the the books do have scenes in port, and and uh, both the heroes do do chase various women, um, but they deliberately chose to set it you know, basically just to have the scenes on the ship and very close adjacency, um, and that did mean cutting all the female speak potential female speaking parts in the adaptation. Right, fair enough. I I think aside from that unfortunate side effect, I think it probably was a good idea because it really does nail the kind of claustrophobia and the the closeness um and you're kind of almost relieved when they do land on the galapagos just for a brief moment and they can do things that you would normally do on land very briefly um yeah so, so I... the the dp is russell boyd um 
who got famous for picnic at Hanging Rock with Peter Weir and, and, and basically done quite a lot of stuff. This, this was relatively late in his career. Um, but the thing I, I liked was the, the thing I got in Fargo as well, that, that combination of a great wide space that you are in yeah. and then the tiny little bit of it that you can actually live in. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. And this was all... Uh, there was some of it filmed at sea, but most of it was filmed on the soundstage for Titanic. I mean, mm-hmm. this great big... Uh, tank. I, I, I mean, I think the visual effects... To the, I mean, it seems weird to say visual effects because it it, it didn't feel like they were visual effects, which is you know a huge uh, salute to them, I guess. You know, this just felt like people on a ship and and how it would be, and um, we have an element of like the confusion of battle. I don't think it was necessarily framed as well as it could be because there were in the battle scenes. It was hard to tell which ship has just been hit by the cannon, and there's ways of you know you can do you can suggest that with the cinematography. Yeah, which, I, 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 I was well, both with that and to some extent with the storm. I, I was getting the feeling of what we should be getting is it's chaotic and then it resolves into order. Mm. And what what I felt I was getting was just the chaos. Yeah, yeah, it, I agree. It felt almost deliberately chaotic in a similar way that Platoon is, but. Uh, we, in Platoon, we're supposed to be down on the ground with the, you know, with the grunts, basically confused as to what's going on. But here we're supposed to be having a, a slightly, I felt like we were supposed to have a slightly third person approach to it, where we were getting an idea of how the battle was going. And it just, it was very confusing at times to work out quite what was happening along those lines, um, particularly in the final battle. Um hmm. Because we've got the boarding action going on. Yes, and you're not sure. Uh, this cannon deck has just been hit. Is that the cannon deck on the surprise? Uh, I, it, it was. I did find it a bit uh, needlessly confusing. Um, I, I think. Um, and and yet there are bits that worked really well. And the the, the bit where you realise there there is actually snow accumulating on the side of the ship. Mm. All the gun smoke. Which is very much authentic. I mean, the smokeless powder was an amazing innovation in, in the latter 19th century, specifically yes, because yes. It, it meant you, you, know, you could have a fight and still work out where the enemy was. <laughs> right, yes. Uh, yeah, it, it was, um, I, I did find it thrilling and exciting in the similar way to Das Boot that it, it really felt real and that the stakes were real, um, and that it, it genuinely felt like they did everything they possibly could. I did occasionally get taken out of it, though, by uh, the characters themselves, particularly um, Aubrey. Uh, I, I just not a very interesting character for me. It's just such a cliched. Well, he basically uh, gets everything right. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and to be yes, fair, Hornblower has, has make- the same problem. Well, yes, yeah, but um, the the way the, the way they try to humanise Hornblower is to make him hate himself. Yeah, right. For, for, okay. for, uh, every inch by which he falls less than perfection um, is, is a mortal sin, as far as he's concerned. Um, now, yeah, humanising Aubrey, the the stuff that would humanise him, you know, his his life on shore, isn't here. Yeah. And I think, to be fair, that is a fault in the filmmaking process more than in the um, book itself. So is Aubrey, when he's on shore, is he a more... I, I could, 
he's a bit of a failure, as I recall in the beginning of Master and Commander. But here he's a fully fledged hero captain. He has full respect of the men, and they're right to respect him because he'll do right by them and, and largely uh, save their lives and and help. Them. I, I think this is in part a problem of film financing because, and th- this is. Um, this is basically Tom Rothman's baby. He, he'd been a fan of yes. the books for many years. And in 2000, he became chairman of Fox Filmed Entertainment, as it was at that point. And was like, here's a, here's a franchise in the making. Well, more to the point, he said, right, make this film. Yes, yeah. Um, but then, you know, you can only make one film. You, you can't commit money to an entire series. Yes. And it did okay. I mean, it was number one in its opening week, but it did not make the big money that other things were making. It, it, it didn't lose money, it didn't make a ton of money, and certainly nowhere near the likes of like the billions that, or the over a billion that a lot of superhero films did. It's interesting, because this was... Um, we had the list of films last, last week, didn't we? But mm. these were films uh, that were not historical epics, Um by and large, they were sequels or sequel fodder, or they were all franchises. Um, and this was supposed to be a franchise, but didn't do well enough to, as you say, didn't do well enough to earn it. Um, mm. And but, I, th- I think, as as we've mentioned in passing, I think a lot of this is September the eleventh, two thousand and one has happened, and people are in a much more of a mood for escapism. Well, that is obviously after this film had been greenlit, and probably after the script had been written. Yes. But before they were actually filming it in 2002, which is a bit bad timing. Now, I think in some ways this is why this is quite a refreshing film to me, because it's very different from the kind of blockbusters we get nowadays, which are all basically fantasy escapism um, for the most part, whereas this is trying to be a big-budget action film, but also not cinematic in the sense of you know, the surrounding, it's trying to be as true as it, it's, it's trying to be in like a very big budget Das Boot, Das hmm. Boot, I think. Yeah. Um, but it is let down, in Das Boot, we have the captain who is an interesting, complex, slightly enigmatic character. Uh, I, I do feel Aubrey here is just not that. He's just, just a hero, just an out and out hero. Um, uh, one, one of the contemporary critics said, said that, um, basically all, all the traits of the perfect man had been split between Aubrey and Maturin. So that, yeah, ju- just to give them some reason to argue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, what did you think of their relationship then? How does that compare to the book? <laughs> well, I, again, I, it's been a while since I read the book and I, w- I wasn't wildly enthused by it anyway, but I did feel that there was an, an underlying genuine respect that maybe it's here, but it's hard to portray in one film. He does seem to keep saying, I've called you here as a friend, not as a... I, I, I mean, just, there's, uh, there's the one big argument. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you promised, that, you promised that I would get to explore these islands, and now, now you're saying I can't again. Yeah. And, Which plays up a couple of times. And, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, as presented in the film, it felt petty, and that... I, I think this is this may be why I was less enthusiastic about it than you because I, I was you know, not not remembering in detail, but remembering that there is a whole book where this stuff is at, you know, laid out at greater length, and yeah. the, the the shortcut film version is always a bit unsatisfying compared with that. 
Yes, it does. It does feel petty uh, to the detriment of uh, Masteran because it, you know, it feels like he he's trying. He, I don't know. He's arguing I should be able to explore these islands when he's on a military vessel with a military captain who's got. I mean, he's never going to win that argument, and it felt a bit. He did feel petty for um for pushing it. Um, uh, so Paul Bettany's character, I I think, does do. I mean, I my sympathies are, are going to be more towards the scientific <laughs> character mm. than the militaristic character, um, and I think he does do better and has a more interesting. But even exactly as you say, even and it, I, as I've touched on, I, I find him. He's like the hero scientist, you know. He's going to basically out Darwin. Darwin. He can operate on himself. It's a great scene, but it's like there's nothing he can't do in his field either. Mm, yeah. Um, and they, yeah, they're just two very tough, not very flawed, manly men. They just approach life in a different way. Um, and that didn't lead to. I, I feel like the film almost feels like it's revolving around this interesting dynamic between the two of them, uh, which is perhaps not as interesting as the film seems to think. It well, is. I think it was trying to, but because it does so little of establishing Maturin as somebody with his own goals beyond science. Science, yes, I must have these specimens. Yeah, I, I okay. I mean, th- this is already a 138 minute film. Yeah. Um. And I can see that there might well not have been run to establish the whole intelligence work thing as well. And intelligence work is clearly not a big part of this specific mission. It's never going to be part of this one, no. But, um, but probably it, they would have brought that in later on. Probably. But it's a shame not to see that, um, because that, that would be Mathieu still definitely working for the Crown, but in a different way. Yes. As, a, as opposed to what we get here, which is more, I want to do my own thing. Yeah, I want to be the scientist on this military vessel. Well, you can't because it's a military vessel. We're not a science ship. Um, yes, I, I think that would have helped uh, a bit. Um, how did you feel about the the supporting characters? Because we had the uh, uh, again the the names escape. I haven't got the research to have them in front of me. Um, sadly, <laughs> for this episode, um, but we have the uh, the the. Uh, basically, the boy who is uh, referred to as a lord for most of it—he presumably is a lord. Um, um, what was his name? Has, uh, lord Blakely, is it? Um, but he has his arm amputated early on. Yeah. Um, again, I feel Ma- like Max Perkis. I, I, I'm generally not a fan of child actors, but he did impress me as some somebody who is who knows he is out of his depth, but he's going to do his damnedest anyway because he's got to. Yeah. Uh, for me, he slightly irritated me in the sense that he was again, uh, I am the best of all things in the mm. best of all. I am going to be, you know, <laughs> all right, I've lost my arm, but now I'm not only a super captain and uh, I, I, you know, I can captain the ship. I'm also going to be a supernaturalist as well. And I, I not a supernaturalist, a supernaturalist. <laughs> um, I, I just felt like he was ultra competent and confident. Um, we had very little displays of uh, non-competency on board the ship. Uh, yeah. Largely because Aubrey's in charge. We, we have this Jonah uh, character halfway through, but that's just... It feels like, it's, as I said, it's just done and dusted uh, in about ten minutes. He's a Jonah. We don't like him. He jumps off the ship. Job done. I, I wonder, not having read most of the books, uh, whether part of that is because the, these things are 
t- taken from different books, so they can't all link together without a yeah. complete rewrite. It felt, uh, yeah, it felt quite, uh, quite like that. And uh, com- comparing Das Boat, um, you've got the pre-mission drinks and that ending, which are yeah. you know, not s- submarine-related things directly. And and I think that does a better job of of being being a bookend when one considers it in retrospect. Whereas this, you know, they've start they've start off they they are sailing and they've just they've got orders and they end their sailing and they've probably got new orders. So yeah, I agree. I I can see the kind of logic and why that seems like a great idea. Um, you're really trying to hammer this claustrophobia home, but yeah, we never see these characters out of context. We never see them in another. Uh, in another field, and so all we see them as is the ultra competent uh characters that they are, and that gets a little wearing after a while um and i think I feel a little cliched as well you know it's as simple as like, oh, there's a stick insect, well, that's given me a great idea for how to destroy <laughs> this. I just it felt a little i know it's interesting because we what did we talk about last week that i um we kind of talked ourselves around to enjoying it more than we did, uh, not the, more than we did, enjoying it more in retrospect than we did watching it, which was lost in translation. Yeah. And I feel like I'm doing the opposite here. Um, I very much enjoyed watching it, but when, now we're talking about it and mulling over the cliches, uh, what I really responded to was kind of the saltiness and the visceral feeling of it and mm. the in your face and the difference to, you know, superpowered guys punching each other through walls and that sort of thing. I, I would also like to say uh, the sound design is a huge part of making this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's by Richard King. And things also, not not just, yeah, we found some guys who had actual cannon and we recorded them and then they, we got them to shoot them at you know, crates and stuff and say, Here, here's the sound of the wood splintering and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but it's things like the lag between you see the gun firing and then the shot hits you. Yes. Things like that. Push- ton of it. Again, they did so much research into this film and they they trawled through uh, the books to get the actual descriptions of the the sounds and tried to make them as as like that as possible. Yes, mm. I think the sounds are like... And um, there is not a ton... Well, I might be wrong here. There is not a ton of music in the film. Or... And uh, it's most, there, music, there, there, there are ba- various classical bits that, that aren't diegetic, but yeah. Yes, yeah. But for the most part, the, the battle scenes are, uh, without a soundtrack, uh, without a musical soundtrack. They're, they're just hmm. with, uh, sound effects. And, and I think better for it. I don't know, the more we do this podcast, the more I slightly resent John Williams telling me how I'm supposed to think of <laughs> <laughs> any one scene. Um, uh, uh, much as I love uh, John Williams' soundtrack. Um, yeah. And, uh, but I suppose what I was uh, saying was I, I, I think I really responded to the very similitude of this film. But mm, when it yeah, comes I, I, down I very to, much liked that. Yeah. I, it's re- And it's not something we see. I mean, the, it's hard to have very similitudes with superheroes, though, I guess Richard Donner tried it with Superman. Um, uh, uh, you just really believe in this world and what it's like, and you get a feeling of the danger that they're in. Um, but I do feel, as we're talking it through, it's really let down by the, the, the cliches of the story and the fairly, mm, frankly, uninteresting characters. Um, 
I, well, I, the, this is what is meant by fridge logic. If the film carries it, carries you along with it while you're watching it, yeah. then that then that is at least one level of success. Yes, and it certainly worked for me. There were no points where I was like, "Oh, that's nonsense! It doesn't uh, it doesn't make any sense?" Um, but the but it's and that there's nothing you can point to and say this would not have happened on the historical ship, or at least not to my, not as far as my knowledge goes. No. That is sometimes a danger with historical fiction, though, that, yeah, you're like, okay, all these things did happen. They didn't necessarily all happen to the same person within the oh, sure. three months. Sure. And I think that is something that can... And just to make it try and make things more interesting. I don't, but the, I don't know. The, the more I read about real life, that I, I don't know. I just find those stories more interesting um, quite often. So when we have this coupling of... Oh, a, a, a fairly cliched story with the the degree of accuracy. I don't know if a TV show might have worked better for this nowadays, um, just to give it a bit more room to breathe instead of focusing on. It, it was a slightly weirdly presented story, as you say. We have the beginning and the end, which are directly connected, and then everything in the middle. It's just kind of breadcrumbs leading to it. There's not really any twists mm. or turns or any surprises. It's just, oh, we've got no wind. Oh, it's very cold. Oh, there's a storm. Um, all of which were terrible and all of which happened to all sailors. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, in terms of overall narrative, it it is much more chopped up bits of incident than yeah. a through line. Yes. Yeah, but you know um, the thing the thing that works for me here and it, it's an important and good thing is we are actually on a frigging ship it feels as if we are on a ship yeah it really does I, again that's that's what i really find it's not uh, yeah i i love the panning shots around where he's he's where he's, he's fixing the um the figurehead at the front and then they they're showing everyone else and life on board the ship and what it's like below and uh, the cook, oh, David Threlfall, I think it was, who was the cook, who was a, uh, uh, managed to be, uh, a, a kind of surly highlight. Again, he's a fairly cliched character as well. Did they get, did, would the captain get that drunk on board all the time? Cause he seems quite drunk in quite a lot of his kind of debrief. Uh, it was an age of very heavy drinking among those who could yeah. afford it. And right. indeed those who, uh, this is, okay, this, this is not quite as bad as the uh, early 1700s where, uh, gin hits England and, uh, yeah. Okay. But, yes. But yeah. yeah, there there is there is certainly is very heavy drinking and there is no suggestion beyond an individual preference that being sober in a battle might be an important thing. Okay. Um, right. if, uh, if if a man is drunk and incapable, he's flogged. But right. uh, but only if he's incapable. But drunk and capable is absolutely fine. Okay, yeah, well, that, don't don't, don't forget the the Royal Navy continues to issue the toss until 1952, I think. Okay, all right. I was listening to a very interesting podcast about how terrible limes are at preventing scurvy, and they should never have switched from lemons. But it coincided with the age age of steam when they switched from lemons to limes, um, which meant most ship journeys were shorter than two months, which is why scurvy sort of stopped happening rather than anything to do with the limes. Anyway, Also, people don't pinch them for cooking as much, maybe. Uh, Well, yeah, okay, that's true. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, I'm not, I think we're uh, ironically running out of steam with Master and Commander here. I'm not sure whether we have much more to say. There isn't really an in-depth plot to pick. And hmm. I love the saltiness and the creakiness and the onboard shittiness. It is very much a visceral experience. As a visceral experience, it's a great success. Would you have liked to see more of them? In fact, there is going to be another one. Um, they are working on a prequel, which is exactly what you said you didn't want to see, which is going to be their uh, first meeting and basically the first novel filmed. Hmm. With different actors, probably. Um, okay, I mean... Yeah. Is it is it going to have more of a story to it? I mean, if it's visually gorgeous, that's great, but I've got yeah. this film for being visually gorgeous now. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not. I, I don't need just another beautiful stuff set aboard a ship. I, w- I would like to see more characters, more story, as well. I'm like, greedy. Uh, yes, exactly. I mean, I, I liked Russell Crowe. I liked Paul Bettany. I am not devastated to think that they will be played by different actors. Frankly, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not that invested in their portrayals of these characters. Um, the main reason I'd like to see more of it is because it's not Wolverine um, or uh, Iron Man. <laughs> or, uh, I, I, uh, I do like... I mean, growing up, I was always a 2000 AD reader rather than a Marvel Comics reader. The Marvel films are very good when you get into them, but they all have a feel that is very samey, and I just... I think everyone, I don't know, surely people are getting tired of it by now. And it's, I think I would like to see more like this, much as I am very excited to see more proper science fiction films, um, or any film that isn't a superhero slugfest, frankly. Mm, I'm, I've managed to avoid this mostly because I'm not terribly interested in superheroes in the first place. And yeah. you know, I, I saw the first Iron Man and I thought it was pretty good, but I've seen pretty much no- nothing of the Marvel films or the DC films since. So it's not so much that I'm tired of it, it's just I'm not terribly interested in it. Well, I, I think it's salient discussing here because this film was a mm, not quite failure, I suppose is the way of putting it. Well, okay, so it's $150 million budget and 212 at the box office, which sounds good, but then, you know, half of that has gone to the cinema chains. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it made profit in, you know, eventual overseas sales, um, home media sales, stuff like that. But, yeah, it, it was, as I say, it was number one in its opening week, but it dropped quite fast after that. And other things that come out this year, we, we've got Lord of the Rings 3, we've got Pirates of the Caribbean, um, we've got uh, the second X-Men. Yeah, and Pirates of the Caribbean is, uh, although it's ostensibly the same sort of film, it's much more of a, a cinematic, ha-ha, we're pirates, you know, it's not... Well, also... I mean, I, I was frankly surprised when I... This is not a film we're going to be dealing with on this uh, podcast, at least not not at once. Yeah. Um, I was very surprised when I saw it just how much it was, A, respectful of its source material. It's saying, look, ha-ha, this is funny, but it's not saying, and the characters are the butt of the joke. Yes. Um, yeah, but also true. quite a lot of referencing of older pirate films, which, of course, this doesn't have because there haven't been so many of the... Yeah, serious. Yeah. Um, there are various bits which are definite, um, copies to, or respectful gestures to, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, some, some of the classic stuff, you know, the, um. Uh, there's a lot from the Crimson Pirates and, um. Yeah. 
I, I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean is very much a swashbuckling adver- action adventure film, whereas this is. It's not what you would consider swashbuckling, I guess. Um, I suppose technically it is, but it's. it's uh, yeah, it's just trying to be more realistic, which by no Well, the, the, the Age of Pirates is, is 150 years before this. Yeah, and, and this is. Master and Commander is not trying to be. It's trying to be realistic, which Pirates of the Caribbean isn't. Um, but one, one is much more escapist, and it's fun, and frankly spawned a heck of a lot more sequels than this did. And I'm none of I'm which I've mil- seen, but uh, none of which are anything like as good. Um, I, I am a little sad about that. I, I, I think it's worth talking about because around about now in cinema, it seems to be the beginning of where we are now. Around about 2003 is when cinema seemed to transition into this escapist fantasy that, frankly, we're still in almost 20 years later, for the most part. Yeah, superhero films are starting to make a bit of actual money. Um, yes. X2 was it was in the top ten for this year. Yeah, and the X-Men film sort of died off, but, uh, yeah, we got this... Well, Marvel films started and then just just keep coming, just mm-hmm. keep coming, and it, it just seems to be that's where we are now. And, and any time we talk about the box office for the next uh, thirty or forty podcasts, probably it's going to be this kind of stuff. And I, I'm a little sad about that, and that's why I would champion Master and Commander, which I think holds up to. I we've been a bit cruel on it, but I think. If we picked any of the Marvel films and tried to analyse them in detail, it would not stand up as well as this, you know. I, I possibly Avengers Endgame, which is very good. We, um, we we probably should at some point, but need we to probably think about should. That. And I I don't mean to I don't want to be lazy. They are very good, very well made films with interesting characters. Quite often the Marvel films, but they all have a similar feel. They're all this weird situation of these kind of Greek gods made flesh in our times. I'm not sure quite how I feel about that as time goes on. It well, doesn't really have anything to tell us about humanity. Or... The, the whole superhero ethos is, to, as far as I'm concerned, what what if you could solve crime by punching it in the face? <laughs> yes. And, yeah. you know, when we consider things like police violence, um, that doesn't always sit terribly comfortably. No, and, and Batman, particularly this character who said... I know he's not Marvel, but he's um, he's had God knows how many reinterpretations. It's something of a quite right wing fantasy, I, I think. If and don't don't we have any new stories to tell? Yeah, is this guy that interesting? He's fictional, after all. Do we keep coming up with stories to tell about him? Um, and they do keep to their credit. They generally are interesting and well made stories. But I, I I don't think young men need even more. Here is a cool edgy loner stories. Yeah, <laughs> I think there, there, there are so. quite a lot of those now, <laughs> and so maybe you know we do need a bit more Jack Aubrey type characters. Though I'm not sure how I feel about him as a role model. <laughs> um, but well, I mean, as as we see him here, it's, it's the the thing about Machira as a civilian. He that is the only person on the ship that he can talk to, to whom yes. he, he can be anybody other than the captain, who is God. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't come over very well, but it does come over. It is a little heavy-handed where it does it here, but I agree. Um, it's I that I wasn't so in love with this relationship that I was like, 
I, uh, that I was feeling I really want to see another 20 films with these characters in. But I wouldn't mind seeing more films along these lines. I would mm. not be sad if it didn't have any of the characters that were here in <laughs> it. Um, and, like and what the French captain did. Yeah, I mean, we, we have mentioned some of, the other, some of the other people, but really it is mostly those two who are the important people. They are, really. I mean, um, it's all so slightly... I mean, I guess it's the way... But, you know, if Aubrey had come up with that ruse to be the surgeon, um, that would have been a, a cunning trick that he could use to get over his enemies. But here it's it kind of implied this is a slimy French trick. Um, that you could, mm. uh, But that I guess that's the way of these things. And that's the way of war as well. Um, yeah, overall, I very much enjoyed watching it. I've soured on it a bit, having talked about it. But I will always appreciate the kind of visuals of it um, and the... Yeah, well, and just the, the as, as I say, as, as an experience, it's yeah. great. Yeah. If you stop and think about it, it's not so great. Yes. But even so, you know, I, yeah. I'm I'm glad that it got made. Yes, and uh, it was refreshing given 20 years of uh, the other stuff that got made. And I'm sad that these kind of historical, uh, yeah, very um, realistic historical films which can still be cliched and full of action. I'm a little sad that... Uh, mind you, I wasn't a huge fan of Gladiator now, I think about it, <laughs> which was the one that everyone liked. The, um, um, and the other thing, that huge thing that Russell Crowe has been in yes, at this point. Yes. Um, but still, I, I liked it very much, um, but not so much for the story. Was it a masterpiece for you, Roger? No, but the the the, um, the the photography and the sound design, yes. Yeah, I, I think... A, as a film overall, no. I, absolutely, I agree. I think it's let down a bit by the plot and by the, the kind of the fridge logic. It's not really the fridge logic in the sense that it doesn't fall apart, it's just on reflection, it's like, oh, is that all there was to it? Is that all there was to those people? Hmm. Um uh, I think it uh, it could have blossomed into an amazing franchise if there were more made. But you know what? There's enough franchises in the world. I'm not horrified to say that. <laughs> um, I don't think, as it stands, just being absolutely historically accurate by itself, without, frankly, without a really interesting story to tell, I don't think that's quite enough for me. Yeah, it it's goes a, sh- a long way, but it's not quite enough. Yeah, and, and we're greedy and we want excellent films, not just okay films. Yes, yes, I think that's fair <laughs> enough. So, a no from both of us. Uh, well, we've talked about 2003 and film. Did, how did this do at the Oscars? I think, did it, I think it lost uh, out Return of the King, presumably. Yeah, it got two, uh, minor ones. Um, let's see. It won, yeah, it won for best cinematography and best sound editing and I can't say those weren't deserved. Um, sound editing, sound mixing is always a bit weird because no, I don't, I'm not sure anybody's really quite sure how you distinguish between them. But, right, yes, yeah. But the sound and the visuals I think are the high points here so I'm not going to argue with that. I mean, that's basically what we just praised um, and not the screenplay or the plot or anything. So yeah, far be it from us to disagree with the, uh, the, <laughs> the Oscars. Um, <laughs> Yeah, oh, we do right. it all Not the time. We do, but uh, on this occasion, uh, I think we agree with their choices. Super. Well, there we are. I guess we better sail on away to the next podcast. That was a terrible so cheese. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the best I can do with this. It's not a very quotable film. <laughs>